I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone, Happy New Year and welcome back to another episode of Wild Wild Podcast. We are kind of wrapping things up here on a, well I say mini season, it's turned out to be quite a long season (laughs) of Luigi Cozzi films. Uh, We're going to try and cover a couple here plus any sort of loose ends we've got I guess. But uh, first of all let me introduce to you my co-host today, the king of podcasting. (laughs) It is rod barnett hello rod how are you uh, i doff my crown at thee thank you i'm not worthy <laughs> you're more you're more than worthy trust me if i if, if i if i'm the king trust me you you are you are also one uh, as well uh, i'm a, somewhere somewhere down the pecking order in the uh royal court or whatever anyway Let's not try and follow that analogy too far. Um, since we last recorded an episode, you've released at least five other podcast episodes, I think. You're so busy. That is not exactly true. I think I've really only released one. I think I've got another one that I'm about to release very soon. But yeah, other than that. It's yeah. very impressive, your, your, your rate of podcasts. So you just did one. I've just started listening to it today, actually. I'm a bit behind. On, um, on Poverty Row um horror film called the was it the monster maker yeah, yeah. it's it's a yeah. it's a nasty little piece of work it was the first movie to actually uh, exploit uh acromegalia or I, I i i you'll you'll hear in the podcast that i co- yes. i'm constantly being tripped up by the number of different ways yeah. i've heard that word pronounced in various and sundry exploitation films over the years yeah no nobody knows how to pronounce that it's, <laughs> it's theoretically possible but no one has made it yet yeah yeah uh, yes, no, it's uh, yeah. The, that's I definitely recommend people if they haven't already heard that listening to that. It's interesting to to hear that discussion of Poverty Row, what that was, and why their films were such a, an entertaining yet mixed bag. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny stuff. Um, and uh, Nashi Cast, any new episodes on there? We've got to schedule it, but we've got a new episode that we're 
planning to do here very soon. I'll be, we're going to do a, finally do another Beyond Nashi episode. Uh, the the friend of ours, the the one of the men who uh, instigated my love of Paul Nashi, you know, more than three decades ago, uh, Bob Sargent has been uh, our cohort in crime on the show over there for almost a year now. It's been great to have Bob Sargent, a man who was responsible for uh, uh, Videos magazine back in the late '80s, actually uh, be willing to to jump on our podcast and and talk all things Nashi with us. And uh, he just he he was very curious. He wanted to do a Beyond Nashi as well, and we let him pick the film. So here very soon we'll be talking about a I would say obscure, but it's not that obscure. I mean, it's had a DVD release, but we're going to be talking about uh, Doctor Orloff in the Invisible Monster with Bob Sargent over on the Nashi <laughs> Cast very soon. A film that uh, I will say this: the first time I saw the uh, saw that particular movie, I swear I'd never watch it again, and I've probably watched it five times since then. So. <laughs> Yeah. That'll tell you that'll tell you my mindset in uh and my and my problems, honestly, really. Sure. I mean let's be honest, depending on who your audience is, if it's a film that's on your podcast, then as far as the world is concerned, it probably is obscure. <laughs> that's that's a good point. Although we had a very um <laughs> we've just finished recording our next uh Troy and I have recorded our next in our series of uh, Universal Horrors uh, on the on, over on oh, the bloody pit, on the bloody pit, and it's it's the next episode that will come out, and it's on the film Flesh and Fantasy. Oh yes, that is really it's a standout film because it it's really an A list film. I mean, any movie with Edward G. Robinson, Char- Charles Boyer, Barbara Stanwyck, um, you know, and a budget in excess of you know a million dollars. I mean, well, maybe not in excess, but I mean they. I mean, they spent a quarter of a million just to advertise this particular movie back when it came out. So think about that. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a fantastic film. And then, of course, we're about to sit down and record when uh, it's announced by Vinegar Syndrome that they have acquired it and are going to be releasing it at the end of yes. January on on Blu-ray. That was a surprise. I mean, one you can imagine how many people potentially would be disappointed picking up a film from Vinegar Syndrome called Flesh and Fantasy. <laughs> well, and then... Putting it putting it on and discovering it's a 1940s black and white Universal film. Well, hopefully, the people who would be disappointed by such such cinema would uh, would steer <laughs> away from it in the first place. Because, but yeah, I'm hoping that. Uh, I, I mean, I've never I've never seen it, but it's one I'd like oh, to uh, to catch. I mean, now it's an anthology. It's, it's an anthology film, it. and um, mm. it's highly recommended. That three different stories with a with a wraparound story with Robert Benchley doing the kind of wraparound story, and uh, it's. Uh, it is very entertaining. It is, you know, as with all anthology films, some segments are better than others. But uh, mm. and there's a, a there was going to be a fourth segment that was filmed and then dropped and turned into a feature length film a year later, which is a story in and of itself. We get into that in the podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, good. yeah. It's 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 a the, like I say that's a it's it's a it's an impressive film. It's a very good film, and it's one of those that has been sorely mistreated by universal mm. which is one of the reasons why it's such a so we're, we're very happy vinegar syndrome decided to uh pick it up and release it but it's also one of those things where you're yeah. just wondering why in hell have has yeah. universal decided that it was a good idea to to shop this one out yeah it's odd isn't yeah. it yeah. So there you go this is uh such mysteries are podcast made or something very true 
I don't know what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of, uh, yeah, that's all really good. So obviously we'll look forward to that one. The only, uh, there's one piece of news I wanted to mention, which is nothing to do with my own podcasting. But I just wanted to mention in terms of uh, interesting Blu-ray announcements, I don't know whether I mentioned this before or not, but there is a new company in the UK called Treasured Films hmm. um, who have set themselves up as a new boutique label. I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed when I see new labels appearing because you just think like, I don't know how they all survive. But anyway, there's a new, <laughs> a new boutique label that's popped up called Treasured Films and their first film that they're releasing is The Last Hunter the Antonio Margariti uh, film. Oh, no, yeah, okay. I, I, I wasn't aware it was a new label, but I am aware of this new uh, this new yeah. disc of The Last Hunter coming out, yeah. One of Margariti's Vietnam Rambo-type films starring David Warbeck. But uh, although it's funny that like this is a, um, it's a new label uh, and it's a really interesting film to, to launch with because, again, speaking of obscure, I'd say this is pretty obscure. Well, that's just it, though. It ha It's already had a Blu-ray release over here. Um, oh, that's true. But, yeah. it, but it, I mean, I'm always up for but It's a, a UK thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm always up for something because it looks like, if memory serves, they have a, a raft of decent extras on it, if I remember. Well, yeah. So that's what I was going to mention. So, I mean, in the UK, the film is probably best known by people who are into this sort of thing because it ended up on a uh, video nasty list ah. uh, back in the 80s um yeah wow not um, a lot of those macaroni yeah. combat films really i know ended up uh, there the, i thought the uh cons the, the british conservatives of the 1980s were uh, a funny bunch but um <laughs> But yeah, but so they're a new label. But if you look at their lists of extras, you would assume they've been around for ages because it's kind of familiar names. Okay. Let's say there's an audio commentary from Nathaniel Thompson, Troy Howarth, and Eugenio Ercolani. Oh, cool! Who, be between the three of them, have pretty much got um, cult Italian Blu-ray releases sewed up. <laughs> so it's funny that he's managed to get all three names uh, in the same one. But the the other, there's a lot of new extras on there as well, which I think uh, Eugenio has uh, produced because he's always good at that stuff. Um, but what's also interesting for me, and this is how I found out about this in the first place, is they are putting on here the first UK-friendly version of the documentary The Outsider, Il Cinema di Antonio Margheriti. Yeah which was the documentary made about 10 years ago by Eduardo, Mar Eduardo Margariti. And this previously has only been commercially available on a German Blu-ray and I believe a Japanese Blu-ray. So this is the first time that it will be available with English subtitles. So um, that's worth seeing. I did actually, I reviewed that on my sorely neglected Antonio Margariti blog a couple of years ago. Um, and then about six months ago maybe the guy who's running treasured films just contacted me through my blog because i mentioned how this had never been this is only available in germany and japan and whatever so he wanted to check with me how i knew that so i was i got chatting with him and then i said so why do you want to know and then it turned out that it was because of this blu-ray release so i would love to think that either uh this particular label is going to do several margariti films or maybe just mm. <laughs> are they going to do a specialty line in the in the macaroni war war films from I know. the 80s i mean hey yeah who knows it's the only one that they've um announced so well, hmm. yeah, they, I don't know what else they're going to do, but it's kind of, kind of intriguing. So this is, uh, you can find it on their website. I think you can only buy it through them, treasuredfilms.co.uk. It's coming out in March. Uh, 
apparently there are only 2,000 copies available, so it's kind of limited edition. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to snatch um, that up. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want to get it, then, uh, yeah, don't hang about. Um, but that's quite interesting that, you know, these things are still occasionally appearing. Um, like we mentioned before, the um, 88 films, I think, are doing Ark of the Sun God. Yes. So, you know, you're just constantly getting surprised by... Uh, announcements from these companies just when you think the bottom of the barrel has been scraped they find some more and surprise you with with some well, of these I'm, great I'm, things i'm i'm really surprised yeah that well like i say that and also these labels darting off in different directions like vinegar syndrome suddenly dipping into the the 40s that's new for them in, yeah. in a big way so i'm glad to see yeah, i'm good. glad to see lots of these kinds of different roads being taken by these labels because there's a lot of yeah. stuff out there and i'm still holding out hope for you know the the uh peplum stuff and the the yeah. uh the kind of uh you know rape rapiers and 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 roughs <laughs> stuff that that was produced in the the 50s and 60s to start coming out as well you know any anything yeah. like that I think this is, we may as well mention this now. I've been waiting for an official announcement and it hasn't come, but I think we can just mention it anyway. Speaking of, of startup boutique companies, there's a company called Malombra Films who um, some of you may have listened to the interview that I did with the founder of that company a few months ago on the podcast. And there, and we talked on that episode about their first release called El Sesso de Angeli or Sex of Angels. Mm-hmm. Um, so since then, um, Rod, I'm sure he won't mind us telling you, Rod and I have actually recorded a commentary track for that film, which is going to be on the Blu-ray. And that, according to Facebook, is coming out soon. But again, you can only sort of pre-order it through Malombra. I think eventually he's going to get it onto some more mainstream platforms like Diabolic DVD and stuff. But uh, that's, that's, you know, as, as far as obscure cult, Italian cinema goes the sex of angels is kind of quite high up that list I would say but it's a fascinating film and one that you and I really enjoyed yes. going and going into in great depth I think it's one that has the potential to do very well on the market I don't know yeah. if they're pressing a certain limited number of them or what how no, they're how they're marketing sure. it I'm not sure but it's it's a it's yeah. a very very interesting film so yeah so if any of you have not heard of that or uh, didn't know that it was coming out on Blu-ray or whatever, anyway, look him up. I think the best way to find Malombra is currently through Facebook. So it's quite a small company getting started with their first film, but their second film is going to be a Mario Bava Western. So, uh, you know, that's quite good news too. So, yeah, it's just funny how these things are, you know, it's 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 never, never all over. Your collection will keep growing and your... Um, bank balance will keep shrinking. <laughs> yeah, we could say. So, speaking of which, let's get on to our uh, double bill for today. Luigi Cozzi, um I, I think my my appreciation for Lewis Coates <laughs> um, has has gone up considerably as we've done this season, okay. and I think in partic- in particular. As we uh, will get into in more detail, when I finally watched Blood on Melier's Moon, the um, the film that he made five years ago, actually I think seven years ago, now, yeah, um, which has just been given a Blu-ray release, which again was another surprise announcement from uh, from Severin. They put out um, a triple bill basically of uh, Blood on Melier's Moon, the film that he shot on video, um, 
basically it's like just a I don't know what to call it. It's like a home movie. It's, it's um, bizarre, yeah. Oh, it's so fun. And uh, But then they also put on there a children's film that he made after that, which I haven't had the chance to watch yet, called The Little Wizards of Oz, hmm. which um, I caught, uh, one review that I read on the IMDb says that it makes the room seem Oscar-worthy. <laughs> so I know, but I'm still quite looking forward to checking yeah. that out. Uh, but, but also on here, which is great, is the documentary Fantasticozzi, which was made by a Brazilian documentary maker. I think it was based around um, about 10 years ago, Luigi Cozzi went to um, a sci-fi festival in Brazil and they made a, this, the documentary kind of came out of that. So that's a documentary that's been around for a while, but again, it's been quite hard to get hold of an English-friendly version. So um, so this release, if you're a Cozzi fan, is well worth picking up because it's got these three things on it. Plus... Um, you know, he's giving introductions and there are making of videos and stuff. But uh, I think Blood on Melee's movie gives us some real insight into Kotze's, how Kotze's mind works. But um, before we get there, we're going back 30-something years, about 34 years, to the Black Cat. Fear, the most powerful instinct in the world. Fear and a mother's need to protect her child from the ultimate face of evil. The Black Cat. Two women, one driven by love, the other driven by desire, racing into hell. A woman who will stop at nothing to get what she wants, a child, trapped in a web of hideous danger as those around him are pulled down to the depths of passion to the brink of madness into the bowels of hell to lie face to face with the daughters of darkness from Edgar Allan Poe's classic tale of evil 21st Century Film Corporation presents The Black Cat. Fantastic Kotze mentions because originally it wasn't going to be called the Black Cat. And I suppose we could sort of start with that. He had the idea it was going to be called De Profundis, um, and it was going to be about sort of psychic witches and all this kind of stuff, mutants and things. But then the distributor wanted him to call it the Black Cat, and I don't know why. I mean, they, they, sort of the Poe cycle was like in the 60s everything was called the black Cat. oh well apparently from what i've read uh the the it never came to pass but the idea was that the the, the producers were thinking about doing a series of films supposedly mm. based on edgar Allan poe stories and of course this is the only one that ever came out never got ever got yeah, made so it's typical yeah. but of course but right at the same time as kotzi mentions in the documentary dario argento was making two evil eyes with um George Romero, yeah. George Romero, and I think um, 
Dario Argento's section was also the black cat mm-hmm. in that, I think. So he talks in the interview about how that was a bit awkward. <laughs> Dario's like, what are you doing? Well, there's a there's more than a little bit of awkwardness between him and Argento yeah. in the produ- in, involved know, in the production of this particular movie. Yeah. Yeah. Calling it the black cat was not the was was the least of the um plagiarism issues. But uh yeah, the black cat. So we decided to to end this review over Kotze's work with this one that's like in many ways it plays like a it's like a greatest hits of Kotze's interests and also the the sort of fant- fantasy horror of Italian cinema it kind of all comes to a head um so to speak. and it's very yeah, <laughs> and it's very self uh self-aware uh, you know, yeah. they openly talk. They openly talk about Suspiria. Um, it's got Caroline Monroe in it again. Who I think, from what he says, he tried to get Caroline Monroe in pretty much every film he made <laughs> since since um, Star Crash. He kept trying to get her back, and he eventually gets her back ten years later in this one. Um, there's also an appearance from Michaela Soavi, mm-hmm. so there's that kind of connection. Because uh, in, in Japan, apparently, this was released as Demon Six. And so there's a sort of feel that it's connected in some way to those films as well, although not really. But it, it does. It just feels like everything that happened in Italian horror in the sort of in the eighties all comes together in in one mad production. Sort of, yeah, one mad self-aware postmodern production on on a very low budget. Um, yeah, so what do you do? You want to talk a little bit more about the origin of the story and the fact that obviously there's some involvement, isn't there, from uh, quite an an interesting connection to Suspiria that that we could mention. Well, yeah, the um, the genesis of this, to a large degree, was Daria Nicolodi, who um, was kind of uh, Dario Argento's co-conspirator in uh, creating Suspiria and Inferno, the first two quote unquote of the Three Mothers series. Of, mm. uh, of horror films and she was involved in crafting this film because of course after the uh, not particularly wonderful reception that Inferno got uh, Dario and, and plus you know Dario Argento's rough production on that film he, he contracted hepatitis and uh, his mentor Mario Bava came in to help him you know to help him uh, complete the film and things like that he would you know yeah. and, and, and so there's um the and then there are you know there are people who look at Inferno as kind of the point at which uh, Argento kind of lost the plot in a in a in a, in a way because Inferno is Argento, Argento never had a plot. So I don't know what you. I don't know. I would agree. I would disagree with that with the with the with the early films. I mean, they're very, I think those no, are very those are very tightly me. plotted. But but the idea yeah, that uh, Inferno. I mean, it's 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 easy to look back and see you know that he was he was ill and that uh, the production was troubled because mm. of that. But it did not do well financially, or at least not as well as hoped. And he kind of got ribbed, and so he darted back into uh, the giallo genre with his next film with Tenebra. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, he's, and he was. It's not like Dario was uh, just resting his laurels during the eighties. Mm, he was so busy mm. in that decade, wasn't he? And Extraordinarily producing busy and turning out some yeah. absolutely astonishing films. I mean, yeah, Tenebra phenomenon, producing as as well as yeah, producing as well as directing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he had a lot going on. That yeah, that's where we get into the to, to where he was producing the first two Demons films and just doing yeah. all kinds of things the time so it was a very productive decade for him 
but and going to try, trying to crack America, mm-hmm. and, and trying everything that he could, and then eventually yeah. in the nineties realizing that it was a that it was just not going to happen. Yeah. So I mean, am I am I one of the only people who likes trauma and thinks it's really good? Oh no, I I, I, I like see a lot like of people trauma. don't like that. I, I like yeah. trauma quite a bit. I, I think that it's. Uh, I'm it's actually really about good. to do a um, about to do a rewatch of it. I've had the the Blu-ray sitting over there for quite some time, waiting for me to. To, to get in the right mindset oh, to, to revisit yeah, it and very really good. go through it. But, it's really good. But with the Black Cat, what we have here is something that um, uh, someone named Lewis Coates, I think that may be Luigi Cozzi. Okay, I'm not going to keep that up. I do love the credits, though, giving uh, Luigi Cozzi uh, screenplay credit and Lewis Coates directorial credit. That that I find amusing. <laughs> yeah. But the... Uh, the the idea was to finally craft a third you know the third of the three mothers stories and that of course is where we get yeah. the uh, the title that he you know the preferred title which is de profundus um, yeah. you know which is the last part of the the de quincey title of Suspiria de profundus and um, uh, as, yeah, as so that just let's just let me just get this right so there's three mothers the mother of size mm-hmm. and that was Suspiria right right. So, right, and then the mother of darkness, I for darkness, which is inferno, mm-hmm. and then the mother of tears, um, mater, mother of tears, mater lacrimona, or mm-hmm. whatever she was called, um, which of course eventually Dario Argento would come back to, mm-hmm. about uh, you know, 20, a decade 20, and a half after this, yeah. twenty years later, yeah. And I've still never seen that that one. I have to confess. Almost everyone in the world hates it except me. So. Okay. All right. Well, in that, I would probably like it then. In that case, I'm open, I'm open to it anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so instead of they got sick of waiting for him, so they thought, right, we'll just make, we'll just make one ourselves. But then I mean, Daria, at one point or another, decided that she didn't want to have anything to do with this production, and even yeah. refused to take a, you know co screenplay credit. Yeah. Even though she it's like had she... a big hand in it. Yeah. She sort of whispered in his ear and then backs away and left him to get into trouble on his own. And then so she can she's got she's got plausible deniability. <laughs> I don't know what he's up to. Uh, yeah, what he's he's done what? Oh my! He's God. making us what? No, me never. <laughs> I would not do. That. Well, at any rate, so how we we that's how we yeah. end up with this movie, and that's why we end up with it being called the Black Cat because of course that was not the title that Kotsi wanted. It was a title forced on him by the producers. Yeah. And like he says, he just basically had to get one shot where a black cat walks across the screen. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> and I think I think he has maybe two or three. So maybe you know, yeah. maybe that was maybe he overdid the quota just for safety's sake. I don't know. Yes. Now there's like so there's a, and it's about um filmmakers mm-hmm. in and oh we I think we're in Italy, although they're all speaking English. Uh and then they decide that they're going to make the next film right because they talk about how great Suspiria is oh that's it and he the director character is talking about the three mothers and then somebody says hey didn't they already make that movie and they're like oh yes it was called Suspiria it's very good mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like Kotzi wanted to make absolutely sure that if Dario did actually watch this he wouldn't take offense <laughs> and there still is some question as to whether Dario ever did watch it especially back in the back well, in that yeah. period of time I mean, he might have done now. He's got a bit more time on his hands. True. Well, especially especially for the last decade. But yes. Yeah. Um, but the 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 story of this basically is, um, to be honest, it's about a pair of couples. But the the film kind of un, unwinds that in an odd way, and then 
and then submarines it and then throws it up in the air and then decides it wants a happy ending but nevertheless um there's a there are a pair of filmmakers well the movie starts with us seeing what we think is uh, the beginning of our movie when it's actually the beginning of uh, a movie being shot starring yeah. uh, starring uh, uh, an actress named Anna um, played by uh, Florence Guerin and this is the movie that's called The Black Cat right. I believe and it's being directed by Michaela Solari who uh, yeah. who is a director I have a lot of time for I'm a big fan of his uh, especially his yeah. uh, his horror films I think he's fantastic yeah I was just watching what did I just watch the other day that he popped up in oh the uh <laughs> Oh dear! Talking about bad films, um, I just watched Caligula: The Untold Story. Oh yes, well um, yes, I I watched that about <clears throat> man nine months ago, and I I really enjoyed it. But believe me, I understand what you're saying. Yes, dearie me. Um, but yeah, but it's funny because because his first film as director, which I think came a couple of years before this, mm-hmm. the um, <sighs> Stage Fright. Um, yeah. That also starts with a kind of film within a film mm-hmm. where you think you're watching something and then the camera sort of pulls back and they're all actors. Um, so it's interesting that that does this here as well. They sort of pulls this um, switcheroo where you think you're watching a movie and then there's some terrible murders and then, you know, the camera pulls back and it's all a movie. So I don't know whether Luigi saw stage fright or whether he just, it's just coincidence, but it just reminded me of that and the fact that Soavi. The fact that Soavi is directing the film within a film makes me think it was on purpose. Well, I, I love the fact that this particular uh, cinematic fake out of you think you're watching the beginning of the movie when it's actually you know a, a kind of production on screen. I just watched an old movie from nineteen, I think nineteen thirty one or thirty three last night called Murder at Midnight that starts the exact same way. You think you're watching. Oh, okay. you, you think you're watching. Um, a trio of people enact uh, uh, a murder and then it turns out that they're actually doing an elaborate thing uh, that's part of the game of charades uh, in front of in front of a, a you know a room full of about 20 other people and the camera pulls back and and the people start trying to guess what word they were attempting to uh, make everyone uh, aware of <clears throat> and so it was just, it, it, it's 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 let's put it this way age old <laughs> if i could see it in a movie from the early 30s then th- this <laughs> this is something that's been around for uh, probably even longer than that mm-hmm. but um this th- this this interesting thing we get going here is that um anna is married to mark ravania uh, mm. who's played by uh, Urba- so, urbano Barbe- barberini who i almost want to yeah. mis- mispronounce and start calling him that character that john travolta played in welcome back cotter i have to be careful about that uh, <laughs> and he, he's a very um, sophisticated auteur theory type director, right? But he's, he, like but he's known as cliched the, uh, movie director. Yeah, he's known as kind of the king of spaghetti horrors, which means that mm. let's be honest, he's kind of patterned after Dario Argento. So yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but of course, we're, yes. this movie works. This movie exists in a world in which Dario Argento exists. And so it's it's really playing fast and loose with just how many people could actually hold that title sometime in the 1980s. But hey, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. Um, well, he and he, uh, well, Mark Ravinia and his writing partner, his screenplay partner, uh, have been working on a new horror film about uh, the the witch Lavinia uh, from mm. uh, from Thomas De Quincey's uh, essay *Suspiria de Profundis*. 
And uh, since Dario Gento appears to be uninterested in completing those Three Mothers trilogy, I guess. Uh, because they do, as you say, they talk about Suspiria in the film. Yeah. Well, Anna, uh, the director's wife, has, has reservations about playing such a, a bitch, quote-unquote. But it appears <laughs> that the spirit of Lavinia feels the same way. <laughs> yes. And anyone else purporting to show the, the, show, uh, the face behind her uh, veil... Um, so Lavinia starts appearing to Anna as she reads the script and threatening to drive her to the brink mm. of madness because uh, apparently she does uh, the, the, the ghost of Lavinia or the spirit of Lavinia does not consider her worthy of, uh, of uh, bringing her image to the masses. Uh, She's an, an, a very attractive image, it is too. <laughs> let's talk to a little bit about, before I go any further, let's talk a little bit about how... my. Uh, the ma- the makeup the the kind of scaly scummy you know, uh, yeah. makeup that's on the uh, flesh of the person playing the the hideous Lavinia I got to say I'm I'm impressed by it a lot and I was really kind of weirded out by how impressive it was when later in the movie we get some real strong close ups on the face and the and that scaly stuff is even on the eyelids I was like wow man they they went the, they went yeah. the whole they went the whole nine yards on this I was I was impressed. <laughs> Yeah, she's got warts on top of her warts. <laughs> Very true. Really quite disturbing. Not not <laughs> just wearing bizarre contact lenses. This is this is uh, uh, this is a pretty impressive pretty makeup. Nasty. I gotta say. Yeah. So there's um yeah and there's all this sort of so I could tell you a little bit from the the book that I've got here the Luigi Cozzi book uh, tries to sort of summarize what's going on a okay. little bit. Um, because uh, he wanted to I think originally he wanted to make a sci-fi he's always wanting to make science fiction films basically and I think that was originally his plan with this uh, I mean in the in Fantasticozzi he tries to explain how um, Paganini horror is not a horror film it's a science fiction film <laughs> so he's always trying to make it all sci-fi anyway so the story revolves around two women who have tremendous mind powers the evil one wants to rule the world after killing her rival while the good one is unaware of her own powers while posing as a nanny to Guerin's child the evil mutant builds a mental labyrinth around her all the bad things that happen are a terrible illusion created by her rival to get rid of the good mutant the nanny makes a boy appear in the child's room makes the latter disappear creates an illusory universe to convince Guerin that an evil witch wants to take her child she even manipulates Guerin's husband as well as Caroline Monroe, when they're no longer useful she kills them or has them commit suicide hmm. eventually Guerin who becomes aware of her powers fights her evil counterpart in a delirium of optical effects I don't know does that sound like the film we just watched only vaguely <laughs> bits, <laughs> bits of it, it sounds like, it sounds like the movie we're talking about if you hadn't seen it in about 15 years yeah yeah it's <laughs> uh, good stuff um there's lots of great imagery in yeah. here like it's pretty full-on in terms of the special effects apparently the film was never actually released in italy um because it was considered to be too gory huh which given what we know about italian cinema seems a bit of a surprise yeah, but really that is a, apparently the case um but it was a u.s co-production so i think it, it did get released in the states well, it was obviously it was up, shot in uh, English. It was, so. Yeah, it was picked up during production by Menachem Golan's uh, 21st Century Film Corporation. Um, 
this is this is this was after Golan had left uh, Canon Films and was producing films on his own. So mm-hmm. he picked this up uh, for for release and uh, was actually responsible for doing you know for for initiating a few trims of the film uh, yeah. before it was released and the whole and the whole black cat thing. Presumably. No, no, no. That was apparently. Um, no, oh, no, no, that, no, that wasn't, wasn't him. him. He just he, this the movie was already oh, okay. rolling, I think, by the time that that came along. So it was actually some of the original producers that that, that were, oh, were okay. involved in that bizarre aspect of, of this bizarre film. Um, Fair enough. Unless uh, unless Mr. Clotzi has uh, has uh, some details he'd like to drop in our ear. Uh, by the way, I, I do, I do, I do have like a list of questions for him about the production of this film, and I'm, and that's kind Good. of one of them, which is, you know, he, he okay. worked with well, this, this, I mean, he remember he worked with uh, Menachem Golan on the Hercules films, and so mm, there's there's a, a there, there, yeah there's a, there's a history there, and I'm just kind of curious yeah. as to his impressions over the period that period of time and what it was like to work with him. But nevertheless, the uh, this movie it. it it would be very easy. Let me let me let me preface it by saying this: the only way I'd ever seen this before was was from a really crappy bootleg of I think a VHS tape from Japan. I'm not positive. I can't remember what the source material was, but right. it was a movie that when I first saw it, I, I I enjoyed, but I also knew that this was a really crappy way to try to judge this thing. Now that we have the Severn Blu-ray, uh, I have to say. Mm. My feelings about the movie have improved because you can see the damn thing. <laughs> you, you can yeah. get a firm indication of what was going on visually in the movie, which I think is is probably the best way to judge this thing because the story is how do I put this nicely? Typical Luigi Cozzi, you know, <laughs> WTF cinema. Uh, it's where yeah. the, he has <laughs> apparently got an end goal in sight. But the, the 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 different pathways we get there are often just really silly. And honestly, all of the details are are often things that you can see that he's just stealing from other movies. And he'll be the first to admit mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of that theft. But it becomes a question of and, and, and don't get me wrong, this is not a criticism of this film. This is this is something that actually enhances my enjoyment of it, but it becomes a question of just how many reference points from other things can you spot within this? And I almost wanted to start making a list, and then I realized, well, no, then I won't be able to watch the movie. So I'll just, I'll just watch the film, yeah. make mental note of a couple of them. Point. My favorite, yeah. I mean, beyond, and this is a non-visual one, which is probably why it's stuck in my head, which is there are several points in the movie where the, the score, the actual music produced for the film is just flatly ripping off Ennio Morricone's uh, score for Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, that, 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 dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then we have, you know, a bed of uh, a synthesizer sound coming in underneath it. I'm just like, okay, that's exactly where that's coming from. So I'm, I know exactly what he told yeah. the, 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 the musician. It's like, I want it to sound like The Thing. Uh, uh, but the uh, the other things that are that are buried within it, I mean, he he's he's pulling things from all over the place, and the, and the way he structured this allows him to kind of throw images up on the wall, and then later on completely negate them because they don't really matter, and um, especially with the ending, <laughs> where we essentially just alter everything. No longer is the you know, no yeah. longer do we have you know the the adulterous relationship that's just wiped away, and all these different things. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, and, and I enjoy it, but I mean, he he steals the you know the creepy the creepy little girl holding a ball from uh, Kill Baby Kill from you know from Mario Bava. So you know he's swipe. Don't get me wrong, he's swiping from the best. But oh well, and, yeah. and, and they're they're all and all people he knew personally. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, the girl playing the the, the the little girl playing you know holding holding the glowing ball is uh, apparently Kotsi's daughter anyway. So. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. There you go. so uh you know the uh, i'm i'm giving the impression that this is a, a jumbled mess of a movie and it kind of is yeah. but it also has so much going for it plus it's it's a little under 90 minutes long so it doesn't stick around long enough to really uh to, to really get on your nerves by any stretch and that that is the that is the correct length for a film <laughs> especially a film of this type just yeah, if all films could stick to that, the world would be a better. Hey, there place. are movies that can be longer than that, but we need to just make them as television series now, okay? Yeah, or give them an intermission. <laughs> I am all for that. Uh, so that I've been watching a lot of uh, Bollywood movies in the last couple of years, and they are long, but they all have intermissions, even at the cinema, and it's so good. Ah, uh, yes. Like I, I don't know. We we should all have, like Avatar, for example could really have benefited from an intermission oh the, the, yeah and there's um, a film that i never intend to watch so yeah though we went to see the new one yeah. and it's like over three hours see, that's just it i i saw the i saw the original back when it came out what 2009 and i remember thinking for the last half of it wow this is a retread of 15 other films that i've seen before dressed yeah. up with astonishingly <laughs> wonderful special effects so he really yes. doesn't have any kind of new story to tell. And so I just sat there for the last half of the movie going, man, I hope he pulls something narratively interesting. And he never did. So it's like, no, I'm not sitting down for three but, more hours of that. Yeah. Thank you. But, you know, you can have one avatar or two black cats. So what you, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the choice is obvious. Even if I just watched the black cat twice in a row, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. I mean, Exactly. Well, at any rate, but uh, yeah. Anyway, the, out yeah, the, the ending. Couple, the, you know. the, the screenwriter who's working oh, on yes. this 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 uh, film within a film, it, his his wife is played by Caroline Monroe, and uh, she she's yeah. she's a lot of fun in this. Uh, she's she. Oh, she's having I a great know. time. I mean, everything from seducing the the director to uh, um, uh, vamping it up with her husband, and then uh, you know we get the whole big bubble bath scene, and this whole nine yards. I mean, there's just yeah. so much going on with her in this movie where it's very clear that yeah. that Kotsi's very happy to have her back in front of his camera again. And she doesn't get to play the villain all that no, often. No, so it's kind of fun that she's getting to to be evil, Caroline, mm-hmm. in this film. Right, right, and see, this is that period of time when she was. Uh, remember, it had only been like a year before that she'd shot a movie with Paul Nashi. She'd done Howl of the Devil with him, and uh, yeah, she had such an int. What I've I, I've met Caroline Monroe loads yeah. of times uh, back when I used to go to Hammer conventions, and all the Q and As and everything with her, they were only ever about Hammer movies, and occasionally maybe somebody would mention Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. But like when you look at what she's done, her period in the eighties was so interesting. She was like you said, she's like all over mm-hmm. Europe making all kinds of crazy stuff and no one ever really asked her about that like you know she obviously she was in a um jess franco film mm-hmm. as well Faceless. Yeah. and yeah like she's done so much interesting stuff and then people would just always constantly ask her about dracula yeah and it's like which is, which fine, is i think why several years ago when i got the chance to, to ask her some <laughs> questions about how the devil and then this movie as well 
I think I think that's why yeah. she was you know her her her, her attitude her her body language changed considerably because she already knew I was going to be asking oh, her about how the devil so she you know she was ready for that but when I mentioned when I mentioned this film she says oh my goodness have you seen it because at that point <laughs> this was like ten years ago yeah it was lost yeah, at it? this point ten years ago yeah. she had never been able to see the film yeah people believed it was a kind of lost film for a long time when when Severin went to Kotze and said we want to put this out he's like yeah, I think he said have you found it because he hadn't even got it like he didn't know where it yeah. was or so so which again so what we were saying before the uh the the, the well is never going to be dry with this stuff Just, there are lost films like this can be found and anything's possible I, and, and it's it's wonderful that like i say this is this is a crazy film but if you're sitting down to watch this movie mm-hmm. you already kind of know what kind what, what ride you're in for you know yeah. you, you've paid your ticket exactly. to a certain degree and so this is it's unlike it's unlikely this will be your first cutscene <laughs> or if it is um, I mean, you're gonna kind of be lost if it is where have you been yeah. <laughs> you're gonna kind of wonder just what is this messy meandering thing <laughs> yeah and be curious about yeah. it I, I definitely wouldn't I wouldn't start here. That's for sure. No, I wouldn't start with uh, but, Paganini uh, horror or this. You kind of need to, you kind of need to dip your toes <laughs> into the stuff that's made that was made about a decade before that, at the very least. So yeah, it's so fun. Yeah. Oh, well, I, oh, by the no, way, I, there's there's a lot to enjoy. There, there is a lot to yes. enjoy. Were you shocked to have Brett Halsey pop up as a wheelchair bound uh, reclusive movie producer? Uh, I mean, it just seems like such a. This is during that period of time when Brett Halsey was, you know, making movies with with Lucio Fulci, and he was popping up here and there in various Euro cult things. It's just, it's 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 kind of yeah. amazing to to. Uh, I, I often forget he's in this movie, and then when he pops up playing such an asshole character, I'm like, you know, this is a weird breath of fresh air in a way. Yeah, I mean, for me, I didn't. I'm not that familiar with him. I think he's much more prominent probably on american tv and stuff so he wasn't somebody that i was that familiar oh really with, okay if i'm if i'm honest i mean i've probably seen i know i've seen films that he's mm-hmm. in but um i know that he's in a lot of american television and stuff like the dukes of hazard and all kinds of fun well stuff. yeah he was i mean he was a na- he was a, a name to a certain degree uh in his heyday and i think that's why he yeah. was such a such a good get for a lot of um uh, for a lot of productions, I mean, he was in. Oh, yeah. He was the you know he was the main character in the the Return of the Fly and and uh, he had a yeah. small role in uh, Coppola's as Godfather Three and things like that. I mean, he did a lot of movies stretching all the way back into that, probably just the fifties. I don't think it goes back any further than that. And so yeah, he did you know as his career was going on by the eighties, he was doing a lot of television. If basically if you if you saw American television in the eighties, Brett Halsey was going to pop up on an episode of sure. you know something. Well, I, yeah, I'm just looking at I'm just looking at his list. He was in an episode of Auto Man. Oh my god, which, really? Which is a sh- I, that was a show that I loved it back in the eighties, but no one else seemed to know what it was. It was like one of those shows that I thought I dreamt. But now, obviously, thanks to the internet, you can I've find still anything. Ne- I've never seen is. an episode of that. It's something I've uh, But I, I was obsessed. With, I was obsessed with Auto Man when it was uh, <laughs> when it was on. Uh, I'm just uh, getting distracted now because the trailer for Auto Man just started playing on the IMDb <laughs> oh, page. God. But yeah, so yeah, Brett, Brett Halsey. Obviously, you know, so many actors like mm-hmm. him would turn up in uh, in Euro cinema, not imagining that years later people in America would actually see it. Right. Right, especially right. the stuff he did for for Fulci, where 
Uh, mm. the, the, he, as an actor, I mean, he, it's, he shows in some of those Fulci fi- films that he made for uh, Italian television that he was more than willing to cross yeah. some really weird lines. Um, uh, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that and let people discover <laughs> discover those Fulci films with I, Brett Halsey. Yeah, on. I did watch, I know he's in Demonia, which I watched recently. Um which I have to confess, it was not my favorite Fulci. Uh, well, not, but then I'd be surprised if it was yeah. anyone's favorite. Yeah, none, none of those late '80s Fulci films are exactly what I would refer yeah. to as uh, fantastic, but they 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 are <laughs> interesting to a degree. Exactly. You know, yeah. It's touch, always, of, touch of death. Always interesting. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yes. So. Um, yeah, so what are your sort of final thoughts on the Black Cat then? And, and I know you had you had some questions. Do you want to just mention to us now what some of those are? Oh, well, are? like I say, a lot of my questions involve uh, the production, um, mainly because, uh, and this kind of dovetails with Blood on Melier's Moon as well, which is um, how hard was it for him to convince his, his fellow directors to just pop up on camera for him? Because like, he, like you say, we get mm-hmm. Michele Suave, who's early in his directorial career at this point, and he's more than willing to do apparently uh, a cameo there at the beginning, yeah. and then um, yeah. There's also I'm very curious about his relationship with uh, Menachem Golan, but specific to this movie, I'm also curious about how I mean because he's 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 working different pieces of things into this that are direct references to earlier films of his, and I'm I'm wondering if some of them are 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 direct callbacks that he's wanting to make or if they're just things if they're just images that he's wanting to put on screen again for instance the uh the alien contamination or contamination depending on which um you know which title he he wants it to go by the the uh the alien inspired you know chest and stomach bursting uh uh, special effect gets a gets gets played again (laughs) here because he used here, yeah, yes. and I'm wondering if he, he uh, if that's <laughs> something he was doing because he'd done it before, or if he was doing it because you know for some specific reason relating to how he viewed this particular story. In other words, does yeah. he like the effect, or should... does the effect have a purpose within this story that doesn't have anything to do with a callback? The uh, I should mention, actually, speaking of effects, that the effects supervisor, I believe, on this film was our friend Armando Valcauda again. Yeah, uh, who of course was responsible for the uh, fantastic colorization of Godzilla um, about ten years earlier, <laughs> and I use fantastic in air quotes. Now. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I know he. Well, actually, I think to be fair, he was responsible for the visual effects in this film rather than the practical effects. But yeah, because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of visual effects going on here as well. There's glowing eye, red glowing mm-hmm. eyes, and all kinds of stuff as well as the more sort well, there's of a theory. there's a possessed uh there's a possessed refrigerator so you know don't forget that <laughs> but and by the way that whole that whole refrigerator yeah. thing it, it you know if you wanted to trim something <laughs> yeah well but it's under 90 minutes isn't it that, yeah that, that would that, that would yeah yeah but if you if you wanted to be 85 you could <laughs> you could be yeah but but i gotta say the uh yeah. i have to, uh, i, I want to give massive praise that you know and this is not something I could have said earlier until this Blu-ray came out. The photography, uh, Pas- uh, is it Pascal Rashini? Um, he's, uh, he's yes. so it, it's it's honestly I love the look of the movie. This is back when we're mm. you know we're still shooting on film, so it can have yeah. that really 
it, it, you know, there can be scenes with a lot of fog and some diffused lighting and things like that, and it still just looks fantastic. And those, there are lots of yeah. moments where he's he's clearly stealing from uh, you know Baba for the for weird gel lighting and, and and spots of green light here and there. Oh, sure. And it all looks really really good. And also, yeah. I kind of enjoy the uh, the the synth score of the movie from Vince Tempura. Uh, or Vince Tempera. Mm. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. He was involved in a lot of uh, a lot of movie scores from you know, in the 70s and 80s. But the yeah. the uh, I enjoy it even when it's clear that he's being instructed to at particular times uh, steal from the thing. But the uh, the yeah, yeah. the weirdest thing to why, me, and this is not? a question that I ha- that I definitely have for uh, uh, Maestro Cozzi. Which is, of course, this movie uh, being an Italian horror film produced. Uh, even though he wants to call it a science fiction movie, let's let's be clear, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's, but but it also it has those stabs of of heavy metal music that that are on the soundtrack as well. That comes stinging in there. Uh, songs from uh, Bang Tango and White Lion. And I'm very curious as to whether or not he chose those songs specifically, or if they were kind of forced upon him. Uh, I'm very curious. I'm very curious as to the song choices and whether or not those were, you know, how they how they got chosen to be in the film. Um, yeah. Because um, I have to admit that as the film opens with a particular Bang Tango song, it, it does actually feel like we're watching. It feels very natural. But then, of course, later in the film, when some of it kind of bleeds in, it does have that unnatural "what the hell are we doing here" feeling that that uh, all, you know kind of pushes you away from the image and you know that you run across in things like the the demons films and things like that, where you're just like, well, we're just shoving a Judas Priest song into this now. What the hell are we doing here? Um, <laughs> uh, so, the, the, like I say, there are lots of questions of that type that I would have about it. But once again, mm-hmm. just being able to finally see this in high def has made me like this movie more. I always kind of felt it was a very interesting mm. production, something that I that I enjoyed but thought of as kind of the bastard child of a bunch of different things that doesn't really add up to much. And honestly, I don't know that I would necessarily change that description of it any at, at all. I would just add the 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 uh the codicil and I now I really love it. So, yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we don't come to these films for the um, tight no. plotting and uh, narrative structure. No. And yeah, The Black Cat is definitely a film that delivers, I would say. Speaking of which, and just uh, got a few minutes left, let's segue into something that... So we, this was Kotze's last, fil- last feature film. Until? But then he surprised everybody by bouncing back a good... Um, what, 25 something years later because it, it was around 1989 when he opened the um, Profondo Rosso store in mm-hmm. Rome and uh, and that seemed to kind of take up most of his time he, he was he started going to lots of festivals and he's a judge at all kinds of film festivals and things like that and he also made some documentaries he made a documentary about Dario Argento but primarily it was the Profondo Rosso store and its publishing arm as well, publishing lots of books on uh, cinema, many of which he wrote himself. Um, so that seemed to be his kind of early retirement from film directing. He got out rather than having to spend the rest of his career making episodes of Italian television, which seems to be where a lot of other Italian directors ended up. He sort of stepped away. But then 25 years later, 
he surprises everybody by announcing that he's made a film called Blood on Melier's Moon. Mm -hmm. And um, this was something, this was a project that originated back in his canon days, actually. He he proposed this film. He had an idea to do it as a, a film set in the era of Melier's. And he proposed this to canon and it was just going to be too much money and they weren't really interested and wanted him to make Hercules instead, I think. Or possibly Hercules too. I forget exactly where it fitted in, but it was around that time. But he filed it away and then he decides to make it himself as a contemporary film. But not only did he decide to make it, he decided to star in it yes. as well. <laughs> and um, came up with this film that uh, is kind of defies description. But I did ask you to watch yeah. it, ready for us to talk about it. And I don't want us to then take another hour pulling, <laughs> going into it because we've kind of, uh, you know, we've exhausted ourselves on the black cat. But just, what are your thoughts on this film? I don't know whether we can, whether it's even possible to describe the basic plot, but we can have a go. But just initially, what was, what did you think when you saw um, it? Um, okay, let's be, let's be ridiculous. Be I'm going to be blunt about one thing right off the top. <laughs> <laughs> it is easily 30 minutes too long because it's too it's too yeah, that is it's true two hours long yeah this is a film that could have also been 90 minutes by a That's... long shot it needed yeah. it needed <laughs> it needed scissors attached to the, uh -huh. to the print really really fast that's true uh, but i will say that um i had i had learned as little as i could about this film before watching it because um I think we've all been in the position, if we're longtime movie fans, of, of watching a, a beloved filmmaker return to re, re, return behind the camera, and inevitably the um, I mean it's it's shocking if the return behind the camera after years of not uh, being in the, in the in the industry is something impressive. So it, yeah. it it was not something that I did not expect this movie to kind of be a return to the the joys of the stuff that he produced in the nineteen eighties. Right the 70s um but i did not realize that this was going to be essentially him taking on you know the idea of that fulci and um and fulci had done with cat in the brain and essentially placing himself front and center as a main character yeah uh and he, he didn't even have the he <laughs> didn't even have the, yeah. the smarts to do what uh um the uh what was done in new nightmare where uh the director is in the movie as himself, but is very much a secondary character only in a couple of scenes. Mm. Um, no, he's at the whole thing. Right, right, right. He is front and center in roughly, I would say, seventy percent of this picture. And yeah. um, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll, credit where credit's due. He doesn't embarrass himself. It's pretty. He's, he's not. He's not. He's not awful, which is exactly <laughs> what I was expecting. But at the same time, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that it's it's good to advertise as the movie goes on that essentially you shot this at home and at work uh yeah they did yeah i'm pretty sure that must be his own house it's gotta be and he's he's got i i tell you what i became obsessed with his uh his his quilt cover <laughs> <laughs> he's got this fabulous bedding set which is all stars and now i really want one of yeah, those yeah yeah um and yeah, we get to see Luigi in his pajamas at home. Not a site that I, not a then, site that I signed yeah. up for, but you know, okay. And, and like you said, yeah, and a lot of it is shot in the Profondo Rosso store, and the museum underneath. So, in the and the museum in the in the sort of wine cellar basement. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, yeah, if you've never been there, it's quite a fun way to uh, be introduced to it. Um, this is, but yeah, this is, but then he also goes to Paris. Yeah, to be yeah. fair, there's some location work. I gotta say, this is. I was taking notes as I was watching along and thinking to myself, okay, so oh, he's well done. he's essentially kind of tr- merging some giallo elements with science fiction, and then merging all of mo- merging both of those with a lot of bizarre fantasy stuff. There's long stretches where yes. I got really interested in the, uh, the, the 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 larger story that he's trying to tell about the origins of cinema itself, the and the idea mm. of images that are looking, you know, images that we're looking at that are that are returning that gaze that are essentially looking back at us. That I found a very interesting concept, but where he goes with mm. it isn't. I mean, honestly, it's such a it's such an interesting idea. No matter what you do, once you you know nail it down into something concrete, it almost always feels less impressive than it than it could be. And of course, that's certainly the yeah. that's certainly true here. Uh, he's he's really and he goes out of his way. He's got so much screen time that he's trying to tie everything into this. And I love the I, I do love the idea of having science fictional events like UFOs or the concept of aliens appearing uh instead as supernatural events you know the whole idea of you know uh, uh, if if technology is advanced you know far enough then it will then it will appear to as magic to uh someone unaware of the fact that it's technology that's interesting but it's only vaguely played with before he starts trying to tie in you know tarot cards and and um mysterious books of forbidden knowledge and of course that's kind of the jumping yeah. off point it kind of brackets everything we have this we have this book called the the vagabond universe this supposedly french mm-hmm. um this is a sort of french sci-fi yeah. novel that somehow connected to to yeah to melies but also the the sort of mystery around louis le prince the uh the guy that that really did allegedly invent cinema but then mysteriously disappeared on a train mm-hmm. um back in 1892 and and then it, yeah, it's all sort of tied up with French magicians and demons. Demon possession, satanic rites, other yeah. dimensions, Earth crashing into giant, Earth. Uh, giant teddy yeah. bears. Um, he has a nightmare where he somebody's telling him that he's the Italian Edward. <laughs> That's really funny. And he wakes up like, I'm not the Italian and Edward. And then, without and then ever he, getting out of bed, he starts to think, Actually, comes around yeah, to thinking Edward that's a famous. good thing. Yes. Yeah, Edward was famous. People, Tim Burton might come to Italy and make a film about exactly. Me. <laughs> it's just like you, you just want to look and like, see if you see if you could spot yeah, really spot funny. where the uh, the used LSD tab is next to him on the bed. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this is this film is like a real insight into his sense of humor. Yes, this is true. Is he's so funny? And it, it it is very funny. But there's also lots of cameos. He oh, goes yeah. around Lamberto Barber's house yeah, for dinner, yeah. uh, which is quite fun. And they talk about mario barber's sci-fi library which i don't know if that was a real thing or just made up for the film i like to think that it would be interesting thing. if that was a real um, thing but i don't know if it was yeah. yeah there's also um a brief cameo i say cameo it's not really a cameo dario argento is in here but only because he was doing a book signing <laughs> yes the, the profundo it's, rosso it's store just so they just shot, footage of they just, him doing a book signing. yeah they just shot some footage of that that's got nothing to do with the film at all um but also uh barbara Manuel. Barbara Magnolfi is in mm-hmm. here, the Italian actress who was in Suspiria, True. and a bunch of other stuff. She pops up in here. Um, so there's some, yeah, it's quite interesting what's going on. But then, but the plot, yeah, 
makes no sense at all. But again, it doesn't really see that's matter, just it. There are stretches. There really are stretches <laughs> of this movie, like the whole bit when we when they they start digging into the whole uh, charity event that happened in Paris in 1897, where there was a fire where 100 people died, and we have yeah. this magician that was that was burned, and, and afterwards this masked magician popped up doing an act. Uh, and it, yeah. the question is whether that it's like that whole little segment. It's like, wow, that would be a really interesting movie if you expanded that out and well, did something with it. But here it's just jumbled in with other stuff yeah. combined with all these other weird ideas. And it's 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 strange. I mean, well, by the time we got down to, you know, some character in the past who was apparently an alchemist working with, you know, the the the, the idea of reflected <laughs> light. And it was just mm. And and then there became whole big chunks of it where I was just distracted by the fact that for some reason Lizzie Kotze wants to wear a bow tie all the time. I don't understand it. Oh, I know. <laughs> so funny. I don't get it. I, it's it's odd, and I'm <laughs> I'm willing to roll, but okay, sure. There's a there's a weird bit where he's in his house and he just walks in wearing a giant bear costume. I know, just to mess with his wife. Talk, talks to his wife, yeah, which I think was his real wife. I've met her in the shop. I'm pretty sure that okay. was her. So again, this is totally like just a family mo- home movie. Well, I have to admit, if, if it is really his wife, she plays exasperation very well. Yes, I'm sure there was little acting involved. <laughs> She's just like, oh, not again. So in the um, in the introduction to the the film on the Blu-ray, he talks about how the sort of the origin of the film, and I mean, basically, they were to a certain degree making it up as they went ah. along. Like they would just do it in, they would sort of write and then film bits of it at a time. And that's why I think it feels more like a series of different bits rather than having a coherent narrative. <laughs> but, you know, like we said with the black cat, that's not exactly that's not necessarily the reason we're here. Yeah. So but it's there's lots of fun. I did laugh a lot in this. And Kotsi, like you said, you know, with the whole big bow tie and everything, it's like he's just really hamming it mm-hmm. up and and I think this does reveal a lot about his um, sense of humor, which I hadn't really quite got before. Maybe just I don't know. I had I, I wasn't I didn't think of Kotzi as a funny guy, but he clearly well, is. What this movie does, what Blood on Melee's Moon film. did for me as a as a as an appreciator of Kotzi's entire career, is it really finally kind of rubbed my nose in an idea that has been lurking around in the back of my head for a long period of time and I'm I'm glad to finally give it voice which is that to a large degree one of the reasons why I enjoy his work so much is like some other filmmakers that I can I can think of like Guillermo del Toro their obsessions and their fascinations I share to a large degree I am also very, very, very interested in almost everything that fascinates Luigi Cozzi. Uh, science yeah. fiction and uh, old movies and uh, monster movies and all the things that he jumbles together into this movie and in The Black Cat to some degree as well. All of these things are things mm. that I love too. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Pulp novels and weird books and, and, uh, and yeah. all these different things, they're all interests of mine as well. The, the, I've always said yes. that when when uh, I have the most fun with Jess Franco movies is when his love of pulp fiction, when his love of weird stories starts, you know, is it, like the jumping off point for one of his, his features. That's when I feel a real kindred spirit 
for Jess Franco. Yeah. And now I realize that it's the same thing with Luigi Cozzi. It's just that Luigi yeah. really has the... I, I don't know if it's the fear, I'm never going to get to make another film again, so I'm going to throw everything into this one. Or <laughs> if it's just that he has ADD and is completely unable to focus and realize that right. this two-hour movie could have been an 80 or 85 minute sharply focused thing where he retained all of the most interesting bits that are in this and it would have been really 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 good as opposed to by the end of it I'm just glad the credits are finally rolling because it's like my god there's too much in this damn movie <laughs> yes that's fair uh, he does throw absolutely everything at the wall yeah with and, and I understand like I said whether it's fear of I'm not going to get to be get to do this again or just the joy the sheer joy of being able to throw yeah. it up on screen and point to it and go don't you enjoy this too and it's like yeah I do <laughs> make it shorter you know? <laughs> I think the uh, the look on his face when he's flying through space in Melier's rocket yes. And he's just looking out the window. The look on his, the silly look on his face, I think, says and it, it all. Shifts, and it shifts into, uh, you know, uh, uh, silent movie intertitles. And... Yeah, and his hats keep changing. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, just the look, the, she the look of sheer joy on his face, yeah. I think, says everything we need to know about Luigi Cotton. And it's like, it makes me, it, it both make this film, Blood on Melier's Moon, makes me both love him more and want to smack him harder. It's like, it's... <laughs> Just give him a big pair of shoes. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I, you, you have to. There, there, there comes a point when you just want to whisper in his ear. You've really got to think of your audience, man. You really kind of need to think about the people sitting in yeah. the seats. Okay. Yeah. But it, really I have funny. to admit, though, that's yeah. the first time this movie, *But Amelia's Moon*, is the first time I've ever thought that he did not understand the need to, to, to yeah. get to a point, it, if not the point. You know. It's probably the first one that's over 90 minutes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's probably because he didn't have a producer and a budget or anything like that. He's just doing this as he could afford right. it and just making it with his mates. So he didn't have anyone telling him to rein it in or cut some pages or anything like that, which, uh, you know, so it's his, he's unleashed in this film <laughs> for better and for worse. Yeah. I yeah. suppose you could say. But uh, it's good fun. So he made. I'm going to talk to him about it in the interview. But he made a. He's made a couple more films since then. So obviously, there's the Wizard of Oz, Little Wizards of Oz one. He's also made one called The Battle of Rome, um, 1849, which uh, I haven't seen, and I don't know if that's available or what. So I'll ask him about that. But he's clearly not giving up. Like he's, you know, he, I think now he's discovered digital video. He's just going to keep going. Um, he's also just recently made a new documentary about Dario Argento and the museum I think the museum is a kind of it's about the the Dario Argento museum mm. itself um, so yeah so he's uh, he's not retiring which is quite fun and the fact that he's willing to come on a little podcast like this one I think also just shows how much he likes to talk about this stuff well I think that he is so, he uh, is very much like us he, he very much does just love this stuff and the chance to yeah. I mean yeah of course you know talk about his own stuff but also it is a joy to sometimes see him in interviews talking about how much he loves you know other things as well you know cinema cinema sure. of the past and the things that inspired him and the things that he loved when he was yeah. a child and that he still takes joy from so yeah so with that said i'll be interviewing luigi in about two weeks time so if anyone has if you have any questions you would like me to put to him please do send them to us 
you can find us uh, all our contact details are on the show notes uh, we've got email we've got twitter we've got instagram um, so please do uh, get in touch with us if you want to you know just to let us know what you've uh, what you think of the show but especially at the moment you know what are your thoughts about luigi cozzi i'd love to love to know and if there's anything that you'd like us to talk about with him then we can give it a go i am going to send him some questions in advance because i mean his english is pretty good but still i thought i'd give him a fighting chance by letting him know sort of in advance what we want what we're planning good to idea, do yeah. um that's i think that's all we've got for today and for this season um so yeah do get in touch with us we'd love hearing from you i also wanted to mention you can if you want to you can support us by buying us a virtual coffee that's k-o-f-i and you can find the contact details for that as well and the link on the show notes i would like to just actually i'm I have to confess i keep forgetting to mention this but we have had a couple of people who have bought us coffees and i wanted to give them shout outs on the show uh a guy called michael uh Yacarino. thank you very much michael for your support and also kurt um no surname on kurt but um kurt and michael have both bought us virtual coffees so uh rod next time i see you i will buy you a coffee <laughs> uh, in, in real life to pass that i would on. i would i would prefer hot tea but okay that's fine okay well so put, i'll have a hot chocolate well but neither of us will have coffee but anyway <laughs> um but yeah thank you so much guys for your support and we do appreciate anyone who wants to support us um i'm gonna try this year to to sort of get the podcast growing a bit more and uh, that will i'll try and you know there are various ways we can do that <laughs> Um, but your support will make that more possible. Are so we finally going to, is, 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 is 2023 much. the year we finally sell out? Is that what you're telling me? Well, maybe. I mean, I have already sold out. So some of you may already, I don't know if you're annoyed by this or not. Let us know. Give us some feedback. <laughs> but there are ads on the podcast. So if that's really annoying, let me know <laughs> what you think. But, I, you know, I'm just trying things here. I'd love to get the podcast to grow. Not so that I can make some money and retire uh, early. No. That's never been my motivation at all. Or a, or a possibility, <laughs> to be honest. But it would be nice. <laughs> yeah, It's never, never going to happen. Um, but uh, just anything that we can do to try and help the podcast to, to find a bigger audience. I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? So, yes. Anyway, so thank you to, to you guys and anyone else who wants to support us with that. So uh, we will be back um, with a new season in two or three weeks where we are going to start looking at Italy's post-apocalypse movies. So that is going to be some uh, leather-studded uh, fun <laughs> Uh, <laughs> lots of mo lots of I'm, dangerous motorcycle stunts i'm sure yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna start um customizing my car now Ooh. so that i'm ready covering it in spikes and uh yeah, we'll be ready to go definitely spikes and a flamethrower i want a flamethrower on top of yes. my car i've been thinking about that for years yep. yeah uh, now, now is the time anyway so thanks everybody for listening thank you again rod for doing this glad to do it as ever and uh, we will be back with another podcast episode soon. Bye for now. Bye, everyone.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.